0: Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello! We are back in studio yet again. I have to say that because it's been a long time since we've been in. But uh, we're going to get right into the podcast today. We're going to be focusing on what today, Shauna?
1: Self-centered spouse.
0: Self-centered spouse. Are you
1: taking notes? Do you need a notebook?
0: (laughs) Yeah. To get before the content. Here, let me get you a pencil or pen. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe maybe the the passive-centered spouse, maybe Uh, or the.
1: (laughs) I'm I'm curious why we say back in studio because obviously if we're recording a podcast, we're in the studio, right? So. Like, where else would we be?
0: It's about being present in the moment oh, as in not being in the moment. Just kind
1: of like the standard intro.
0: Yeah. Huh. Or my inability to come up with anything else creative. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> one, of t- one of the two. So who do we have with us today, Shauna?
1: Wait, why do you turn it back over to me? You introduced Brad. All right. Brad, you and Jeremy, are or you you and Michael are best friends now, right?
0: Absolutely. I, the last podcast, <laughs> well, we, we do share some soreness in our backs, although the activity was Yours completely is- different. So Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we've got Brad Hambrick with us. Uh, today, we're going to continue in our Gospel for Real Life series.
1: If you are listening to this podcast and didn't listen to the previous one, pause this podcast and go back because we just did one on burnout. <laughs> Why are you laughing?
0: Because you're like, you introduce, you introduce, and then I get like halfway into it.
2: And just <laughs> like- I'm
1: giving Brad like a case study right now, right, <laughs> <laughs> to... to Okay. are right.
2: changing subjects. We're doing conflict resolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love that. We need that for sure. No. Um, so it's obviously me, Michael, in the studio again. And Jeremy's here.
2: Jeremy. I'm here. Jeremy,
1: do you just have too much with us or what? No, I mean, it's
2: great. It, yeah, I'm here just in case things break out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he sits back and enjoys the entertainment. <laughs> All right. So if you don't know Brad Han- who Brad Hambrick is, go to his website, bradhambrick.com. But Brad serves as a pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in North Carolina, and he's also the assistant professor of biblical counseling at S- Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, a council member of the Biblical Counseling Coalition, author of several books, and also the general editor for the Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused Project. He's married and has two sons, and you said teenagers last podcast, Brad. How old are your boys?
2: yeah they're 13, about to be 14, uh, and 16. are mm. at late middle school, middle of high school. Uh, lots of activity. It really is a lot sweet season.
1: We're enjoying it. That's awesome. Michael and I, we have a 19 and 14 year old, so both boys. So the house smells quite nice.
2: (laughs) Uh, It does. Uh, That is part of the blessing that comes with teenage boys.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, we want to maximize your time um, because we have a lot to walk walk through. The Gospel for Real Life series, Brad was actually a contributor of four of the booklets. And so we're doing um, three back-to-back podcasts. We did burnout uh, this pat the previous podcast. Right now, we're going to go over the self centered spouse. Um, so, Michael, did you have any anything to say?
0: <laughs> yeah, um, getting right into the as uh, he's
1: eyeballing me that I took over the intro. No, I just it,
0: it was just <laughs> ironic. Like you're like having me introduce it, and then you, it was funny. It was like just apropos. It, okay. Well, I'm glad it was to make a you setup. laugh. It was a perfect setup. It was a perfect setup for any, what any, we're talking anything about.
1: Anything I can do to help you? Yeah, absolutely. Y- you Speaking of
0: well. which, um, Brad, you mentioned uh, just kind of the you know in, in terms of how the booklet uh, is kind of set up. You 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 begin the writing with uh, using case studies and just and within those case studies, kind of presenting this passive and aggressive, self-centered spouse. Uh, can you tell us why you approach the book that way?
2: This, this particular book is probably the, the most exegetically oriented uh, thing that I did in this series because uh, it, in effect, is just walking through Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Um, and I think oftentimes we, in terms of text units, we think of Matthew 7, 1 through 5. And verse 6 is this strange little verse that sits out there by itself. Uh, It doesn't really fit with one through five often in our imagination. Uh, It doesn't fit with seven in the following unit. Uh, But because we've got this passage that's right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, verse six either has to attach to the previous verses or the ones after, uh, or else it's just Jesus dropping this weird little proverb right in the middle of the sermon that everybody's looking around on the side of the mountain going, why did he say that? Hmm. But, uh, Jesus uses two metaphors as he is talking about uh, destructive relationship. One is the wild dog, uh, which aggressively turn and devour you. Uh, the other is uh, the pig, uh, which is a much more passive uh, animal that when you try to be good, give it things of value. A uh, good Kentucky country boy, so we would call it just water. it's kind of. It wallers all over it. It disregards it. And so uh, those, two, uh, those two depictions come from the metaphors that Jesus used uh, at the end of that passage. And case studies are just a way to kind of activate our mind's eye, to, to allow us as the reader uh, to ask the question, how would I get this information because when you get a case study, you get the narrator's perspective from above. You uh, All of the information just comes to you as you read down the page. When you're in session, uh, you're either getting it directly through question and answer, you're getting it through observation, uh, and so... Uh, whenever you read a case study, not just getting, okay, what's the raw material I have to work with, but asking yourself, how would I go about getting this information in an actual session? Yeah, that's
1: good. Yeah. And then you talk about, like, obviously with that data gathering to assess the problem in three different stages. And so stage one is a minor offense in broad relationships, stage two, a moderate offense in a closer relationship, and then stage three being a major offense in intimate relationships. You want to give us kind of a quick recap of those stages? Yeah. So
2: again, this is walking through Matthew 7, 1 through 6. You look at uh, verses 1 and 2. Thematic statement there is, Judge not, lest you be judged. Jesus has been preaching for about two chapters. you got to imagine these books are under some serious conviction. When you get under conviction, you start to look around. The people they'd be looking at weren't the people they were doing life most closely with. And so uh, when the offenses are minor and the relationships are broad, Uh, Jesus would say, hey, judge not, lest you be judged. Uh, But you almost got to imagine somebody there on the side of the mountain raises their hand and says, Jesus, I love this. I get it. Proverbs 15 Love that one of my favorite spots in the Old Testament. But sometimes, you know, relationships—they they just get a little closer. Problems get a little more painful. What do we do then? That's where we get kind of verses three through five. The classic: take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of somebody else's. The type of struggle we're talking about here is something where uh, we do move past that Proverbs 15, one It's too important to overlook it a bit. That the relationship is close enough that this is happening um and interfering with life, that we're not going to function well, we're not going to honor this other person uh, if we just ignore it. And so Jesus says, model the response to grace that you want to see in this person as you bring the concern to them. Take the log out of your eye, take the speck out of their eye. And so log and speck, when you've got the size of the pieces there, I think the interpretation of that is the larger thing is what you have most control over the smaller thing is what you have least control over but then you you gotta imagine again. Somebody raises their hand. Jesus, I love this. Great, right. but I mean, sometimes things they get broken, broken, and it doesn't really seem to matter what I do. I mean, maybe I'm being fatalistic. I don't know. But it it just seems like the more I try to be gracious, the more hurt I get. Are you telling me I just keep going? And uh, that's where you hit verse six. Where again, paraphrasing here, but Jesus says, "Don't throw." Uh, your pearls before swine don't try to feed wild dogs lest they turn and attack you uh, or just swallow on it. So again, the metaphors there, the wild dog, you have a undomesticated dog and you try to feed it. Well, that dog doesn't know where the sandwich ends and the hands again. It's going to turn and devour you. That if you give something precious to a pig, it has no idea that, that's something of value, it's gonna treat it like everything else and it's world. The irony is in just six verses, Jesus went from saying, Judge not lest you be judged to calling people dogs and pigs. And it's a sign that these relationships are getting close in the type of disruption that's being created when we when we detach verse six from verses one through five, then we and again I'll bring another passage here. It's as if we remove the implication that Paul taught in Romans 12, where he said, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, both Paul and Jesus are saying the same thing. There's going to come a point where uh, the degree of non-care in this other person uh, has reached a spot where what needs to change isn't on your side of the fence. And and so when we're saying here, and uh, this booklet looks at marriage, but it can be broader other relationships, where one person is showing disregard to such a degree, that the rules of engagement that Jesus would give us
0: change,
2: where he is more concerned for our safety and well-being than the continual going at this at a fifty fifty take the log out of your eye, take the speck out of somebody else's, and just hope it goes better. That's great, and and in a counseling situation, you know, it's it's very helpful for us to know when we have reached that stage or what what uh, characteristics. Uh, tell us that we have come to that place. And you've done a great job in this booklet of providing a basic matrix for, uh, to help and assist in identifying the various types of self-centered spouses. Uh, Can you share, I think you have four types here. Can you share a little bit more about that? And so what I was trying to do there is to continue to be illustrative in, in how we, and how we understood each other. Because you can take aggressive and passive and say, ah, that tells me what I need to know. What I did was just one stage further We use a biology term of taxonomy, and each of these can be taken further. But on the passive side, you can have somebody who is passively self-centered because they're lazy or apathetic. They, you know, this is the person who doesn't want to get a job. They're very content for their spouse to do all the work they want to spend and have pleasure. They don't want to engage with the rest of the family, and it is purely a willful defiance on engaging. But for other individuals in the on the passive side, uh, it can be a lack of emotional intelligence or emotional awareness. That they, uh, the aptitude. That in the same way that we can be strong in math and weak in English, that we can be strong in certain areas of life and weak in another. There's some individuals just with how they're wired and made. They They don't understand. And so trying to give a couple of examples, one that's more willful on the passive side, one that is less willful, you know, with the aggressive side, just trying to make another distinction that hopefully is helpful. The situationally explosive, uh, the person who's often nice, uh, but then you just have these moments where they blow and flare up. And it happens consistent enough that it wasn't one bad day, but there's enough other things that doesn't match up, that this is who they always are, that it can be really disoriented. And then you can have you know, the maybe more malicious, where you have the intentionally manipulative, self-centered spouse. The person who seems very strategic but worse, that their approach to being self-centered really is trying to take over and be in charge of uh, the totality of their loved one's life. And so since this book has come out, uh, like if somebody's reading this and they say, hey, I want to take a next step uh, with what I'm getting here in the Self-Centered Spouse Book, that project, Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the abused. you can find the resources for that at churchcares.com. That's where uh, I had the good fortune of being able to put together a team of people who uh, specialize and destructive relationship and create a bit of a handbook and tutorial for how do we as churches engage well. And so, you know, this book will give Maybe that initial broad brushstrokes taxonomy. If somebody says this is good and I want more, the Church Cares project would be one I would I would really recommend.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. That's definitely going to be a resource uh, that I'll put in the show notes. Uh, just as a follow up, and for those who want to uh, kind of pursue that a little bit more. And you mentioned that uh, you know, okay, we've got we've got these types of self-centered spouses, aggressive, passive. Um, you know, and to your point a moment ago, anybody picking up this book, reading it, you know, we're we're going to find ourselves uh, being a, either one of those spouses at any given point, you know, within our relationship and our marital relationship. But uh, what would you say, Brad, um, in terms of strategies of interaction within these types of self-centered spouses, what would be some strategies moving forward uh, for those who have identified who they are in terms of what spouse? so on and so forth
2: yeah and so i'll make kind of one precursor distinction as i get to that question the statement i'm about to make it it can make us a little uncomfortable uh, but i think if we reflect on it we'll even though it's uncomfortable we'll acknowledge it that it's true that when we look at people we're all equally broke we are not all equally toxic
0: that's a good distinction and
2: so Right, that nobody needs a double dose of Jesus to get to heaven. Nobody needs Calvary on steroids to get to heaven. When we make this distinction, we're not talking about, uh, we're not making the ground uneven at the foot of the cross. What we are saying is that some people, in the way that they relate... Uh, there is a selfishness, a self-centeredness, a a destructiveness that as we look at that passage there, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, I mean, Jesus is, he is talking about levels of destructiveness in relationship, and when he gets to that third level, he moves from how to fruitfully engage, which is, he gives several different approaches to that in verses 1 through 5. Uh, to giving a caution in verse six where you're saying, Hey, what, what you do on your side of the relational equation is not going to be the most important thing in terms of whether what needs to have happened. Right. And so, uh, oftentimes out of, uh, out of the best of intention, it's, it usually comes from a place of wanting to be humble. Uh, we're like, hey, if I just do a better job, maybe this will go better. And yes, we absolutely want to engage with as much honor as we can. We, we don't want to become people who fight fire with fire. But when we get to a spot where we say, hey, this, this isn't just garden variety. No, this is willful ingrained habit. Then then what we want is we still want to honor but we don't own what's wrong and so maybe just using an example if if you're in a relationship with somebody who's in the throes of addiction and they turn to alcohol whenever life gets hard and then when they get intoxicated uh, they get uh, either despondent or aggressive It you can manage the house as well as you want to you can get the kids to mind their p's and q's as much as you want to Uh, But what Paul would say there in Romans 12 is, you know, as much as it depends on you, live at peace. uh, And so recognizing where we don't have control over this situation. When I'm removing the log from my eye, I can control. it. But here, that is no longer something that's going to be fruitful. Uh, And so I have to begin to manage my life as if what is most destructive in this person's world is not going to be largely influenced by what I do or don't do. I quote Matthew Henry, uh, his uh, kind of historic, well-known commentary on Matthew 7. He says, in this, we see God's tender cares uh, not continually placing themselves out there uh, to be beat up by those who show no indication of change. And so it, it doesn't mean we give up on it. It just means we're no longer relating as if what needs to happen is going to be an active time. And that gives us emotional freedom.
1: I like how you put in the book, actually, in the section of strategies for interaction that, you know, counseling and abusive situations should not be marriage counseling. And you actually say either it's marital, don't confuse marital enrichment, which is refining a marriage within the bounds of a healthy to become increasingly enjoyable with um, with a marital restoration, which is focusing attention on changing a problem that is a threat to the marriage. So in the book, you you really kind of break down those strategies for interaction and give us as counselors um, and pastors, those that we're caring for, just really the, like the just a knowledge of practical application and given us kind of a game plan of how we interact with um, the couple or what they're working through. And even in another portion that I like, just kind of getting people excited about the book is there's a part of talking about the past and you separate the difference between forgiveness, which is absorbing the pain of sin without punishment and restoration, which is working towards making something what it once was or was intended to be Um, and so it's just so good just Brad you're so good at definitions and just really walking through where it's a case study um, but just practical applications of me as a counselor how can I grow to give me a game plan of how to interact with um, this particular spouse or like you said not just a marriage but any type of relationship like how is this manifesting in their life in general the last part of the book you talk about evidences of genuine change and so you know, you'll, those who are listening, if you get the book, you'll get to read a little bit more about that. Uh, Examples are like humility and patience, um, accountability. Uh, So this is, this is such a good resource. um, I think that every counselor really should read um, as, you know, a taste of getting uh, prepared. But one of the things I really like about this podcast too, and and I know we're over and so we've got to unfortunately wrap up, but there, when you first started breaking down Matthew seven, what I want to bring to everyone's attention is, Brad, the way that you actually explained it to us on the podcast is really the way that we could explain it to someone in a counseling room. So if you want to go back and listen to the beginning of the podcast, when Brad was walking through Matthew 7, and really, as you were talking and explaining it to us, Brad, I can see, and I was hearing, this is exactly how we would almost walk the counseling, like in the counseling room, I could walk them through this passage in the way that you did to kind of bring that to their attention. Didn- didn't you kind of notice that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Brad, Uh, thank you for for
2: that counselee who feels like for that person who really loves the the individual who's hurting and they feel bad for being stronger towards them. Uh, to hear kind of like for them to get to hear Jesus walk through and really speak to their situation.
1: Yeah. You know, a, a, what, a 20 minute, 30 minute podcast is never going to give us enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is almost like just a little bit, but it's such a good starting point. Yeah, it's a good primer. You, yeah. You sure. can get the book and then obviously listen, even almost after you listen to this podcast, get the book, read the book, go come back to this podcast, listen to it again, because I think you'll even gain even more so once you actually read the material the book but here's the deal you guys is there's resources out there so do your homework and and be diligent and go into churchcares.com was the website that Brad mentioned earlier go to bradhambrick.com it's I mean so many resources on there for you to just grow as a counselor and and glean from um, just his efforts and studying and counseling yourself and all that so I just love it I just love Brad that you offer so much free material for us to uh, grow and be able to provide better care for those that are hurt and broken, huh? So Brad, thank you for joining us on Speak the Truth and sharing with us on The Self-Spinnered Spot. My
2: pleasure.